Okay, small class today. Wow, I scared everybody else away already. Okay, we have a quiz this week on the iTunes podcast. Pictures from September 17th through October 17th. It's available now, should be up there now. If you go in to look at it and it's not available for any reason, please tell me as soon as possible, but it should be up now and is available through the 30th. Homework five, that doesn't affect you guys there. Second article review is due Friday though. So your second article review is due then. And if you would like to email me, if you're not sure, I know a few of you have turned it in already, but if you're not sure on a specific one, you know, specific article, specific article. If you want me to look at it first, you know, email it to me before. It's due Friday, so since it's due Friday at midnight, don't email me Friday at like nine or ten o'clock at night and expect me to get back and tell you that it's correct. You know, I'll be happy if you give me a day's day's warning on it. I'll be happy to do that and check it for you and let you know what I think. And I've got a homework assignment for you here. We have an exam coming up on the 31st, chapters 10 through 12. And then a homework, which I'm passing out now, which is due on November 4th. So here you go. Okay. So that's what's coming up on that side. Here you go. And two. And one. There you go. Let's see. And I think on this one, the only the only one you've got that's got a little bit of math on it is the last one on it. So it's very low math homework. Very little on everything else. One through nine is all pretty much descriptive. Number ten involves a little bit of a calculation. So can't give you nothing. I gotta have something hiding in there. You know that. At least I didn't hide any on the back this time. I know that confused people one of the times. So okay. So that's what's coming up over the next week or so. But again, that should be up right now and then we'll have another quiz coming up probably right after the exam, I'm going to guess. Try to get every, try to get, make sure we get everything in as we're coming down, you know. Let's see, a week from today is Halloween and then it's November and then it hits December and then class is over. So we still got a lot, lot to go through but we're not doing too bad schedule-wise. We're doing pretty close. Okay, picture of the day for the day. We saw the California Nebula last time. No, it's not another state. It's actually the Waterfall Nebula. That work better? We see a waterfall? Pretty little waterfall going down. Except there's a lot more currents up at the top of the waterfall, maybe than the bottom down here, but at least it looks like a waterfall. Now that's not the whole idea that it looks like a waterfall is not what they're pointing out. Actually, what we're looking at is what, may, what might have caused this waterfall, and one of the types of objects that we see in very young stars that are forming is what's called a herbig Aro object. So it's a very young star and there's a star and a disk of material around it and for some reason these stars will send out jets of material out into space as they're forming. So material is condensing down to form the star but the star spews out material in the opposite directions. And then that material hits the gases in the interstellar medium. So appropriate to what we've been talking about. As it goes through it strikes the material and causes it to glow and it glows irregularly. Which is why these objects were first discovered is that they didn't 
They weren't constant in brightness. They'd change. They'd get a little brighter, a little fainter, as depending on how much material happened to be hitting it at that instant. But you can see one here, one sort of shock of an impact on this side. But you can also see another one up here. And maybe not so well on the screen projecting through the light, but there's also some more way up here. So depending on how far the stream got through the interstellar medium at the time, here it didn't get very far. Here it might have been able to get further away because the, there is less material for it to plow through. But it's thought that maybe this jet and this, this interaction of the material could be causing the rest of this nebula to glow. Because the stream is interesting in that there's nothing there to illuminate it. Now, there's not a bright hot star there. When we saw the California Nebula, there was a bright star right near the center of it that was causing it to be illuminated. There's nothing near this nebula. Nothing near, I mean, this whole middle section, there's nothing there that would be causing that to be illuminated. So it's one of the thoughts as to whether that is maybe the reason, maybe this energetic object down here that is causing this jet of material smashing into things down here, a lot of high energy things going on, maybe that eventually somehow goes around and forms this nebula. Do we know for sure? No. Couldn't tell you for absolute certainty that that is what causes it, but it's the current thought of the time. That's what we think currently might be the case. Now we'll see things like this again. We see them when stars are forming. And I think I have some more, more pictures of them for today. But we'll also see them when we come to other types of stars, when we come to de dying stars. This is a star that's forming. When we see stars that have died and are left with the remnants that are left over, they can also form these disks around them as they attract material, and they can also have jets. And in fact, we see in galaxies, in very large galaxies, they must have a big black hole at the center. You, see a, you can see a disk of material around it, and you can see jets like this only on a much, much larger scale. So we'll talk about those later in the class. So, welcome, yes, okay. We know where we are, I think. We hope we know where we are. Okay, so that was our picture of the day for the day. And then on to chapter 11. Okay. We were right here last time. We were looking at the forming a star and we were watching how it moved on the HR diagram. So we'd looked at this page the last time and we'd seen how the star comes in. So it starts as this big cloud of gas and dust out there that condenses. It becomes a protostar and we actually get to see it. You can, you can plot it on the HR diagram. It has a measurable temperature and a measurable luminosity. So you can actually plot it there. And then as it continues to contract, it's still not stable. It's still contracting. As it goes down, it moves down. It's getting a little bit hotter as it, uh, as it contracts. And as it's getting smaller, it'll also get a little bit fainter. So it's getting fainter and cooler. And stage six is where it becomes a star. Not a main sequence star, but a star. So at 6 is actually where hydrogen starts being converted to helium. And when that happens, it now has an energy source and it's, it turns. So instead of going straight down, now it turns and it becomes hotter and hotter and actually starts to get a little bit brighter again. And then finally, as it still collapses, it still reaches its final equilibrium where it reaches stage 7, the boring stage sits on there for 10 billion years if it's like the sun, then it ends up, so it ends up on the main sequence. So it sort of makes this tra track from the upper, upper right-hand side down towards the main sequence as it goes through its formation. And then we'll look next chapter. We pick up right here at 7 and find out what happens to it after those 10 billion years have passed. Okay. So at stage 6, sort of what I've told you already, but we'll go through it one more time. 
At stage six, we've reached that 10 million degrees. So 10 million degrees, nuclear fusion begins. It's not a protostar anymore, it is a star. It's actually producing its own energy. So that is the key that is required for it to become a star. It has to reach this central temperature, which is the temperature needed for the hydrogen atoms in the core to actually be moving fast enough that they stick together when they collide. Fast enough that they overcome their repulsion for each other and actually stick together. So that's what makes it actually a star. But it doesn't stop there. And as we looked at the previous one, it's sort of it's changed direction on the HR diagram. It started actually getting brighter again. But it continues to crack, contract and then increases the temperature until it reaches an equilibrium. Until it's reaching, producing exactly enough energy in the interior to push the star, that wants to push the star out. The end, all this energy that's being produced at the center wants to push the star apart. Gravity wants to pull it together. It reaches an equilibrium when those two are exactly balanced. So when it's producing just enough, man, enough, enough, just enough energy in the core to overcome the gravity, pushing it together. And it will stay stable. It will be a nice stable star staying exactly it is, it is, as it is in a case like the sun for 10 billion years. So it will just stay there. And the sun will keep producing energy at exactly that rate, keep itself exactly stable for 10 billion years, then it uses up all that hydrogen and then interesting things happen to it again. But right now, once we hit stage 7, it's just kind of stuck there. So here's as we looked at before, I showed you some of these jets. As material starts to condense around the star, you get a disk of material around the star. That would be forming, the star at the center would be still forming and you'd be forming a planetary system most likely around it. As it's, con- as it's collapsing, for some reason, it also f- can spew a jet out in one, and actually normally in both directions, although you only see one of them very well. You can see two of them on occasions. Now, there's one example. Here's another, where there'd be a star here at the center, but you're actually seeing more energy from this jet of material that's being thrown out of the star as it hits that, as it hits the interstellar medium. It hits that gas and dust in space. So we actually see these. And again, we'll see this in galaxies do the same kind of thing. But the star isn't all that bright. The star's invisible to us there. But all the materials, you're throwing that material can be out at a, well, when you get to galaxies, it can be throwing it out at 90, 95% of the speed of light when you're dealing with a black hole. Not quite that fast here, but still throwing it off at a good fraction, a good velocity, very high velocity. And you spew all those particles at a very high velocity into a cloud. When they hit it, it's going to cause it to glow. So that's causing the source of energy that causes the two lobes to glow, one from each side of the jet. So that's as we're condensing material onto as this protostar is forming. And it's a sign of star formation when we see these kind of jets. And again, that's something that we just looked at in our picture of the day for today. Here's a couple examples in Orion, in the infrared and one in the visible. So you can see a protostar. You can actually, we can actually see protostars in some cases. If you can get through enough of the dust and gas, you'll see them very reddened through there. You can actually see a protostar. Doesn't look like anything very amazing, does it? Looks like a little dot. Again, we can't see. Most stars that we see aren't going to look like anything. Any star that we see is pretty much a tiny point. But here you have one. Here you have a disk of material, too, right near it. And that could be part of the material from which it's formed. 
from which it was forming or material left over or material that's going to form stars depending on what size you're looking at. But these are a couple examples. You know, we can see protostars. Again, they're not very exciting pictures, I know. But that's actually stars, you know, our sun would have been like that five billion years ago. It would have been just this reddish blob that some distant astronomer five billion years ago could have been looking at or some current astronomer five billion light years away from us would actually be seeing right now, right? Would be seeing. So those are just a couple examples of protostars. Now, what happens if you're not like the sun? Our sun isn't the only, only star isn't the only massive star in the in the galaxy, in the universe. But if you note, really, they're all, they all do about the same thing. They start out over, over here. Merge on as a protostar. Temperature increases as they contract. They go from 100 times the sun to about the radius of the sun. This one does about the same thing. They all form about the same pattern. The only difference is where they end up on the main sequence. So this, the curves are all just shifted. The higher mass curves are shifted to the left, lower mass to the right. But the general pattern and everything I've told you about how the sun formed applies equally to these stars. So we don't need to go through it again with a three solar mass star or a ten solar mass star or a tenth of a solar mass star. The formation process is essentially the same. They all do the same thing. Large cloud of gas and dust becomes a protostar, has started to collapse and actually has a relatively hot core. That core then continues to heat as it contracts, starts burning hydrogen at some point, right here at the little loop, and then reaches its equilibrium as it hits the main sequence. So it'll actually go down that way. But it just depends. The mass just tells you where it'll end up on the main sequence. The higher the mass, the further up to the upper left of the main sequence it will end up. The lower the mass, the lower to the lower right of the main sequence where it will end up. The pattern in exactly what happens is the same. Now we'll find that's not the case in the next chapter for the end life of a star. They can do things completely different depending on what initial mass they started with. So a star like the sun does something, but a star a tenth of the solar mass will do a little bit different. And a star 10 or 100 times the mass of the sun will do something even more different. So it works for star formation. It doesn't work quite so well for the end life of a star. Now, I told you it had to hit 10 million degrees. You've got to hit 10 million degrees in order to form a star. What happens if it doesn't hit 10 million degrees? What if it only hits 9 million degrees at the core? Then it doesn't quite form a star. It becomes what we call a failed star. So a failed star is something called a brown dwarf. It goes through all the stages for formation just like a star. Collapses from a cloud of gas and dust. Becomes smaller, contracts, heats up. Will hit a million degrees in the core. Two million, five million maybe. Maybe nine million. It can get as close as you want to that ten million. But if it doesn't hit ten million, it's not going to be able to fuse hydrogen to helium. So it's not going to have an energy source. So it'll eventually settle at some size as it contracts. It'll contract until its particles are more solid-like. I mean, sort of like Jupiter. I mean, gaseous, yes, they have particles, but you know, sort of just hitting a ball. And then it won't do anything else. It's a failed star. Jupiter would be one example. If Jupiter were a few times bigger, then it would have actually been able to get hot enough in its core to ignite reactions and we'd have a double star system. 
You know, we'd have Jupiter. If Jupiter were a little bit bigger, then you'd have a star there at night and a star during the day, sun during the day. And at times of the year, like right now, when Jupiter and the sun are opposite each other in the sky, you'd have you know, perpetual daylight. You know, Jupiter's would not be near as big and bright as the sun's. It would be a much smaller star if it had gotten that much bigger. Not just a little bit bigger. I mean, it had to be several times bigger than it was. But it would actually, actually have two stars. You'd have a faint little red star at some times, and you'd have this big, bright yellow sun most of the time. So that would have been interesting. But the idea of this is that what we call a brown dwarf is a star that just never quite made it. It's a failed star. It's not producing energy, and all it's going to do is sit there forever. And it'll never get, it'll never get, never conduct enough mass to actually become a star. There wasn't enough matter that formed from it. And these pictures are a couple examples showing, you know, around another star, essentially what would be a brown dwarf, something much more massive than Jupiter, but not glowing by its own energy. And we could find that by looking at where they'd end up on the HR diagram. Their surface temperatures will never get hot enough to actually show up there. But these are just a couple examples. And this is more of a wide field view in the infrared where you can see a bunch of little redder objects, which would be the brown dwarfs that didn't quite make stars. Now you can't tell them just by looking at it. You have to do other measurements to actually tell the difference. Okay. Star clusters. We just did this, right? We just looked at star clusters on Friday. You got sick of plotting them, I know. <laughs> you got to curse me all weekend saying, I know. But the nice thing about those, those stars, those clusters, are good ways to learn about stellar evolution. Because all those stars formed at the same time, and they formed from the same overall cloud of material. So they're made of the same stuff. They're all about the same age same age, they all formed at the same time, that's a very good way to study how the different masses change as stars, how the masses change as stars evolve. So we saw that. We saw one cluster was a lot older than the other. Right? One cluster had stars way up the main sequence. So you had one cluster that went way up here, and the stars that were leaving the main sequence were way up here, were really, really hot stars leaving the main sequence. And there was another one that was more like that and the stars were closer to here. So this is an older cluster and that was a younger cluster. So that tells us the ages of the two clusters, where that happens. Now if we look at just a bunch of clusters, then we can learn much more detail about how things change. Here's two examples we can get an idea. But as we look at many thousands of clusters, we can work out a whole range from the very youngest clusters with the hottest stars to the very oldest clusters with stars where stars the age of the sun are already gone. So stars like the sun that are, you know, that live for 10 billion years, if you have a cluster that's 12 billion years old, they're all gone. So we can look at how that mass we, that's a good way to study how stars evolve and to use our theories because we can't evolve a star. I can't sit there and take a star and well, let's watch this star evolve over our lifetime, right? Over our lifetime is a blink of an eye to a star. You know, we live 100 years, the star lives 10, the sun lives 10 billion. It's nothing. 
But by looking at many, many thousands and millions of different stars, we can be able to study how stars have evolved and how they will evolve. And use that, those predictions of our models that we make, our computer models, to predict what these clusters should look like. And then we can go look at them. So here's an example. We're going to look at a few examples here. This is the Pleiades star cluster. Nice bright star cluster in the constellation of Taurus. So you got six nice real bright stars here. Right? One, two, three, four, five, six. It's supposed to be the seven sisters, but there's only six bright stars. So something happened to one of them since it was named, or one of them got fainter, or something, you know, there was, wouldn't have been a supernova explosion around there because we would have know, probably known about it in that time. Or it was just that you couldn't see them very well. You know, you were seeing this with the naked eye. And well, it looks like seven stars. So it may have looked like seven stars. But this is an example of an open cluster. So we looked at one of those last time. And you plotted an HR diagram that looked hopefully a lot like this. Or should have. Where you have a lot of stars on the main sequence. Stars like the sun here are on the main sequence. Some cooler stars. And most of the stars up here. But then they're starting to turn. You can see how these stars are actually a little bit cooler than they should be. Because the main sequence should go almost straight up. Curves a little bit, but not that steeply. So these stars have actually started to turn off the main sequence, meaning that they've already exhausted their fuel. So these stars are still going strong. These ones have exhausted their fuel. They're out of hydrogen. So they're out of gas. Once they're out of gas, gravity kicks in again, right? That, that, that energy production is what was keeping the star stable. It was keeping it, holding it up. Now all of a sudden, it's got all this matter here and no energy. It's going to start to collapse again. Or at least the core is going to start to collapse. Interesting thing happened outside. So it starts to move, to, it starts to cool off and move towards cooler temperatures. Now, there's other energy sources that we'll talk about in the next chapter that can come in to help that. But it does tell us, we can start to see when they move off the main sequence, we start to see when they're beginning to age. Now, globular cluster should be closer to what you saw on the other one. Not quite exactly. I don't think they put all the too many of these stars in here, maybe a few, but you didn't have to worry about that. But it had a main sequence and turned off into a red giant region. Globular clusters are typically the age of the sun, the age of the, the age the sun will get to. So they're typically 10, 12 billion years old. Very old clusters. The other clusters are very young. Hundreds of millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of years old. These are extremely old clusters. So that all of these stars that were up here on the main sequence when this cluster formed, say 12 billion years ago, are gone. They've all gone, gone through all their stages. Boom, they're dead. They're a white dwarf. They've blown themselves up. They're gone. These stars are still on the main sequence, still burning, happily burning hydrogen to helium, still stable for a while. And all those cooler stars will stay there. Some of these stars can last you know, a trillion years. Well, a trillion years, it's a long time considering the universe is only 14 billion years old, 14 to 15 billion years old, and you're talking trillions of years. You know, they'll go, for, they'll go forever as far as we're concerned. And then they'll turn, but eventually they'll go up and turn off. And this is where the stars like the sun would be going about here, it's the sun, so stars like the sun are just starting to turn off and move up into the red giant region. But they do the same thing. They've exhausted their fuel. At some point, they've exhausted their fuel. They have no more energy source in their center. And they move up into the red giant region. So stars like the sun sort of move upward and to the right. It's much more massive stars as we saw in the previous one. 
moved more just straight to the right. They didn't move up a lot more. Their luminosity didn't change that greatly. They stayed almost the same, actually. But they did get a lot cooler. So in either case, they're getting, the stars are getting a lot bigger as they're moving towards that upper right region of the HR diagram. So here's some examples of the Orion Nebula, which showing some pictures, showing some stars that we think are in the process of formation. So there's a visible image. Don't see a whole lot, right? Question. Yes, ma'am. Sorry. Yes. Globular clusters are old. Globular clusters would typically be 10, 12, some billion years old at least. And open clusters can be can vary, but typically you're talking 100 million, 10 million, millions of years. You're talking millions of years old. So many, many times older. So again, when you look at the visible image, you don't see a whole lot. You've got all that cloud, all that clouds and dust and gas around it that are blotting out all the stars. Where are all the stars? Well, here they are in the infrared. They're there. You know, all these stars are here in this, but they're just hidden behind all this gas and dust. It's blocking them out. When we look in the infrared, we can see through that, and you can see this whole cluster of stars that is in the process of formation. So given a little bit of time, these stars could actually, you could actually do an open cluster and you could actually plot an HR diagram and you'd get stars that go way up to the top. Almost way up to the top. Some of these are, in fact a couple of the four real, there's four real bright stars here that are getting washed out but in the center. But one of those at least is an O-type star. And if you remember I think one of your questions on the lab last time asked you about why you didn't see O-stars in any of yours. So this is an extremely young cluster to see an O-star. Have to be talking oh, less than a million years old or less. Still old, I know. Formed a million years ago. That's a long time ago on Earth. But in terms of a star, for a star, those stars do not last very long. And that one won't. You know, could be ready to blow up in a few years or a few thousand years or a hundred thousand. You know, time scale to a star is quite different than a time scale to us. But those are some examples of stars that are in the process of forming. And again, we use the infrared to look down into them. Not so much radio once it's gotten to this phase because most of their energy is being emitted in the infrared and a lot of it is being blocked by the gas and dust. Radio is very important when you look at the hotter area, when you look at the colder areas when the stars were first starting to form. So here's an example. So here's an example of the short, a short-lived cluster when you see these. And this is an example of a simulation that has been done where stars have formed and there's stars with disks that have formed. This is actually a computer simulation. This is not a picture of anything. It's actually a computer simulation where you take a whole bunch of dust and gas particles and you just let them start to collapse and see what happens. Some end up with very low temperatures that would be more of a brown dwarf. Some form actually stars and you get the cluster starting to actually form here like we saw in the previous slide. So you'll actually get star, stars cloud is starting to form and you have some of the gas left over for future star formation. So certain pockets happen to condense, happen to be a little denser and condense quicker and start to form the stars and you see all these stars that have formed. Some stars, a brown dwarf, maybe a star with a disk around it. And you see a lot of gas and dust and material that's left over, you know, maybe some denser areas here where stars are still just starting to form. So would this be future star formation here or over? 
Okay. So that's an example of a simulation of one of these star clusters. Okay, finish up chapter 11. Interstellar medium was made of two things. It had gas and it had dust. Gas causes the glowing, causes the great red hydrogen emission lines that we see. Dust does two things to the light. It makes it look fainter than it really is and it makes it look redder. So the dust in the interstellar medium does two things to you. Makes it look, makes a star look fainter that's passing through dust and it makes it look redder than it normally would be. Emission nebulae are some of that gas. They're glowing gas that is associated with the very brightest, hottest stars that are forming. So when those very bright, hot, young O and B stars form, they give off a lot of ultraviolet energy. They can heat up that hydrogen and cause it to glow and give you that bright red glow. Dark dust clouds are very, very cold. They're probably where star formation is beginning, but they're blocking out a lot of the material. They block out a lot of the material behind it. So if you're trying to look through a dark dust cloud, you're not going to see a whole lot. If you have a star behind a really dense dark dust cloud, you're not going to see it. If you have a star behind a very forming in a dust cloud, that's when you need things like the infrared observations to be able to see those stars. One way we can study them, we use infrared or we use radio. And remember I mentioned last time, I talked about this 21 centimeter line of hydrogen. So 21 centimeters, that's a big, big long wavelength. 21 centimeters is that big. So it's a big long wavelength of radiation, it's radio waves. But hydrogen emits that even when it's very cold. It doesn't take a very high temperature in order to form this 21 centimeter line of hydrogen. So it can form even in the dark dust clouds, the hydrogen can be emitting this, this radiation and we can detect it. So even cold hydrogen can be detected with this line. So with this radio emission. And then we went through a lot on the star formation. You had the big cloud of gas and dust and somehow it fragments. It starts to break apart, it starts to collapse for one reason or another. So what causes it? That's a good question. Something had to cause it to start collapsing because it didn't want to otherwise. And then it starts to break apart and form those stars. And that's sort of what we looked at in the previous slide. You saw an example of where it, where it was starting to collapse and where the stars actually started to fragment out of that material. Okay. And then it continues to collapse. So once it started to collapse, it'll continue. Its temperature increases and its luminosity increases. Now, this is the very early stages. This is before it appears on the HR diagram at all. You know, it'd be way off over here someplace. But gradually it gets hotter and hotter and hotter and its luminosity increases and it ends up appearing way up in the upper right hand corner. It's very big, very cool still, but very luminous just because it's so big. Once it gets hot enough, then it, continues to, then it continues to contract down towards the main sequence. And once it hits that 10 million degrees, nuclear fusion begins. That's when it's actually become a star. We've observed this. We think we've actually seen this. We've actually seen evidence of collapsing stars. We've actually seen protostars. We can actually look at them. So we've actually been able to detect them now using more modern techniques, being able to use infrared observations and radio observations. We can actually see this kind of stuff 
and actually been able to see these early stages of stellar evolution that we were not able to see you know, 50, 100 years ago. The main sequence is determined by the mass. Remember I showed you the formation curves. They were all the same. So every star formed followed about the same pattern. It started up here, moved down, cool got hotter, got hotter, got fainter, kind of made a little loop and ended up on the main sequence. The only thing that changed with the mass, it followed the same pattern, it just is where it ended up on the main sequence. So it might have ended up way down here if it only had a little bit of mass, way up at the upper end of the main sequence if it had a lot of mass. And a cloud does not normally form one star. Normally it forms a cluster of stars. So in that case our sun is kind of unusual because it's all by itself. But maybe it wasn't when it was born. Maybe our sun was part of one of these open clusters. Open clusters are open, called open for a reason in that they're not bound together. A globular cluster is a glob and it stays there, for, it stays there forever. It's never coming apart. An open cluster, the cluster stars are there in a cluster where they formed. But they're all moving and slowly over many hundreds of millions and billions of years they'll spread apart and you won't even see them. They won't see it as a cluster. So that's why all the open clusters are relatively young because when they get to this age of a globular cluster all their stars have just spread out into space. Perhaps our sun was one of those, you know, many few billion years ago, five billion years ago maybe we were part of one of those clusters. The end of that chapter. All right. Questions on that? Questions on star formation? No? We're ready to jump ahead, I know. Um, start here. Stellar evolution. So now we're jumping, we're skipping a whole big chunk of the star's life. I just talked to you about how stars formed and they reached that stage seven and hit the main sequence. And that's ten for the star like the sun. We talked, you know, a few millions of years to form and 10 billion years on the main sequence. Well, we're going to skip that whole 10 billion years on the main sequence a little bit. You'll get a little bit referenced in here, but not, not a lot happens. It just stays there nice and calm, burning hydrogen to helium at its core and doesn't change. Fortunately for us, if the sun was getting a lot hotter or a lot colder on a regular basis like it was when it was forming, we wouldn't be here. The sun got twice as hot Remember the radiation law. If it gets twice as hot, then it doesn't just get, you know, twice as hot on the Earth. It gets 16 times hotter. So it wouldn't, wouldn't be a very pleasant thing. What's shown here is a possible end state of a star. So for something like the Sun, at the end of the star's life, there can be a very hot core at the center. And then all these clouds are all the outer layers of the material of the star that have been puffed out into space. We'll come back to that at the end, but this could be something that our Sun would look like in another 5 billion years. Not to us here, we'd be long gone, but in the future. Okay. So what we're going to talk about in chapter 12 is, first of all, leaving the main sequence. As I said, we weren't going to talk about the main sequence at all. You'll see a few mentions to it. But we'll talk about a star like the sun. So just like we did in the last chapter, I'll go through a star like the sun, tell you how it evolves, what its death will be like, then we'll go look at stars more massive than the Sun. So we're going to do it in two groups this time. Stars like the Sun are less massive, pretty much do the same things. They're close. There's a few differences for the really low mass stars. But they also last so much longer that you ne we never see them, so we don't have much to test. Stars more massive than the Sun are the interesting ones. The really more massive stars can eventually blow themselves apart, a supernova explosion. 
the most energetic explosion in the universe. Oop, not ready for that yet. Most energetic explosion in the universe. You know, the, a supernova occurs in a distant galaxy. For those weeks to a month, that star can be putting out more energy than the entire galaxy. So the whole galaxy that you'd see there with billions of stars is now being overwhelmed by this one supernova. So they are an incredibly big explosion. We'll come back to, and we've talked about this a little bit, but we'll look at some more detail on stellar evolution in star clusters. And then finally end up with the last slide, which will talk about the cycle of stellar evolution. It, goes, it does go in a cycle in that when these stars end their lives, and stars like the sun, as I said, end up putting out some material out into space, like this, a little more gently. Stars more massive than the sun explode, but they both have the effect of putting material back, gas and dust back into space that can be used to form new stars. And that's sort of the stellar evolution cycle that we form. And we'll talk about that at the end of this chapter. There we go. So on the main sequence, here we are, we're on the main sequence. Blue arrows are gravity pulling it down. Red arrow is the pressure from all of the energy being produced at the core trying to push it out. So gravity wants to pull the whole sun down to a black hole, pull this whole star down to a black hole. Let's pull it down to a point. That's all gravity wants to do. This pressure from all the energy production is trying to push it outward. In, if the star is in equilibrium, which it is on the main sequence, then that means the arrows are balanced. And there's just as much force from the gravity pulling it down as there is from the pressure from the inside pulling it out. That's what we call being in equilibrium. So it has exactly, it's exactly the same amount. And if it's in a stable equilibrium, it means if one of them, if one of them starts to win for a little bit, you know, temperature increases and pushes more pressure out, the star starts to expand, that immediately cools off the star and it goes back to its equilibrium. So it doesn't change very much. If it starts to produce a little bit more energy, get a little bit hotter in the core, the pressure pushes the star apart a tiny bit, but that immediately cools it off and decreases the pressure, and it goes right back to where it wants to be. So the sun is in what we call a stable equilibrium. It just wants to stay there, and it's going to stay there until the red lines are gone. When there is no energy production anymore, then the red lines go away. So if the red lines of pressure go away all of a sudden, all, it's go, all the core is going to want to do is contract. So once you get rid of that energy production, it's going to start to contract. So that core is going to get smaller and smaller. Okay. So eventually, eventually the hydrogen is consumed. Might take a million years for a very massive star or even less. Might take 10 billion years for a star like the sun. Might take a trillion years for some of the smallest stars. Eventually it's going to consume that and the star is going to leave the main sequence. So all these stars that were on the main sequence are eventually going to leave. Again, millions of years, billions of years, maybe a trillion years down here. Or at least hundreds of billions of years. A long, long time in any case for them. Now what happens 
depends on how massive the star was. So when we said when the stars were forming, they all followed the same pattern. They all followed that same pattern down to the main sequence. They can follow very different patterns and do different, very different things going away from the main sequence. A star like the Sun is what we're going to talk about first. The star would be considered a low mass star. So we go nice and quiet. You know, sun is not going to blow up in a supernova explosion. It's safe. You know, we've got other issues when it, gets, when it expands and gets big. There's other issues that will cause problems, but it's not going to blow up and tear the solar system apart that way. It'll eat us. It gets big and bigger. It's going to become you know, a red supergiant. Eventually, we'll be inside it. You know, the Earth would be inside it, the surface of the sun. So get a little bit warmer then. But relatively, the star itself goes relatively quietly. Its outer layers will get puffed out into space. And the core will contract and become a remnant, what we call a white dwarf. High mass stars quite different. High mass stars can explode. They can become unstable in their core, and we'll talk about that. And then they can eventually explode. They'll tear themselves apart, leaving behind maybe a little remnant, but leaving at the core, but also some other interesting things out further out and actually they can produce a lot of the elements that we are made up of now that's when a lot of the elements that we're made up of are believed to actually get out back out into the universe so what's happening on the star with a star like the sun when a star is born top graph here at birth it's got hydrogen and helium remember it's made up of hydrogen helium and a little bit of other stuff don't worry about the other stuff for right now because all we're worried about for energy production is hydrogen and helium. So it has a certain percentage of hydrogen, about 90%, maybe about 10% helium, and that's uniform throughout the star when it forms. Once it forms, it starts energy production. So maybe about now, the sun has a lot of helium at its core, and further out, more, still more hydrogen. So as this material is cycled into the core, it gets used and burned up. So we're probably clo we're close to the halfway point now. We've used about half the hydrogen in the core. Luckily, 5 billion years, we still got 5 billion more years worth of hydrogen. So we're not even close to using all that up yet. After 10 billion years, you can see that the helium has actually made it out. The helium production has actually moved out a little bit. And there's very little hydrogen. There's almost nothing at the very core of the sun itself. And very, very little until you get you know, a good ways away. So very little hydrogen. If you have that little hydrogen in that core, there's no more energy production. You can't fuse helium. Helium is, you gotta try to smash two protons against two protons together to fuse helium. Well, that is now four times, four, twice, as hard, twice as hard as trying to smash two and two, right? Or one and one, trying to smash one proton versus one proton. You have now four times the force trying to do two helium nuclei. You're drawing two positive charges against two positive charges instead of just one and one. So it's a lot harder to fuse helium. The sun will do it. The sun will eventually do it. It'll eventually reach 100 million degrees at the core, which is the temperature you'd need to fuse the helium. But this is what's changing over the life of the star. So here's our discussion of the, of the main sequence life of the star. It starts out like this, five billion years later. Looks like this. It's getting a lot more helium toward its core. After 10 billion years, it's about done. It's used up pretty much all the helium that was towards the center. This hydrogen never fuses. All this hydrogen out here just stays there. Those are the outer layers of the sun. 
They don't get cycled down into the core, they just stay where they are. So even as the sun goes through all these later stages, it always has that outer envelope that looks exactly the same. So when we look at the sun and we see hydrogen and helium, we're seeing the helium that's been there all the time. When we look at the outer surface of the sun, the helium we're seeing has been there all the time. We don't see any increase in helium in the sun over time. It's all buried down in the core where we can't see it. Okay, so what starts to happen for a star like the sun? We've used up the fuel in the core. So there's this ash of helium at the core. So that's the remnants that's left over. Around it, you still do have some energy production. So the whole star doesn't collapse. It's not like the whole, the whole energy, all the energy turns off at once. But the very core no longer produces energy. There is still some energy being produced in this shell around the core. So it's still burning hydrogen. It's still over 10 million degrees. It can burn hydrogen into helium and produce energy that causes the sun to keep glowing. The sun's not going to stop glowing all of a sudden either. But it keeps adding to this core and that core will start to collapse. So the core is getting smaller and smaller. And while that happens, this energy production causes the outer parts of the sun to grow. They're actually going to get larger. So the sun is going to get bigger at that point and it's going to move off the main sequence. It's going to get bigger, it's going to get cooler, and it's going to move up towards the upper right hand corner of the HR diagram. So, now we looked at a diagram, we looked at this before last time for the beginning stages. Now we're looking at the ending stages of the, sun, of the star like the sun. So, number seven, that's the main sequence phase. Boring, nothing happens. What happens later? It'll he head towards the red giant. The subgiant, it'll pass through the subgiant to get to a red giant phase. Be about a hundred times bigger than it was, but a little bit cooler. And its temp central temperature has started to rise from 10 million towards 100 million degrees. And if you look at the times here, again, 10 billion years, the subgiant phase takes a little bit, takes about 100 million years. Everything else here, and I don't know how well you can read them, but this is about 100,000 years, 5 million years, 10,000 years, 100,000 years. Everything else is very, very short times. All of it goes very, very quickly. So once you use up that hydrogen and you get through the subgiant phase, all the rest of this progresses like that. It's done. You know, to the life of the star. For 10 billion years and then after that you're going to spend, you know, what, a few million years? You know, your biggest thing left is 50 million years on this stage 10. So very, very quickly. But as you watch, the temperatures have changed a little bit. They're cooled off a little bit. They stay roughly the same. They'll then stay roughly the same. 4,000, 5,000 degrees. The sun will be cooler than it is right now. But it'll be a lot bigger. It's gotten a lot, let's look at these numbers, a lot easier. It'll be 100, 100 times as big as it was, 10, 50. It's changing in size quite a bit. So its size kind of oscillates back and down. It'll get, it'll get bigger. So it'll go 100 times bigger. Then all of a sudden something happens here and it shrinks back down. So it's gotten real big, now it's shrunk back down by a factor of 10. And that will physically change its size. Then it's going to get much bigger again. It's going to get 500 times, it's going to get bigger than it was before. And at that point it will have completely consumed all of the inner planets. So everything will be gone, Mercury will be gone, it will be burned up in the sun, Venus, Earth, Mars will all be burned up in the sun. 
After that, and again I'm going to go through these stages in more detail after, this is what's left over afterwards. So at one point, you've got, all of a sudden it gets very tiny. All that you're seeing here, and these two occur simultaneously. This rest of 11 and, how'd they name it, 11 and 12. The carbon core is what's left over at the center. The planetary nebula is the whole outer surface of the star. Whole inner outer layers get pushed out and that's what's left over. So these two actually occur simultaneously. You'll have this very dense, very hot core and you'll have a much cooler outer envelope that's been slowly moving out into space and we'll see some pictures of those. Eventually the planetary nebula fades away and you have a white dwarf left. So a white dwarf is a compact star about the mass of the sun but about the size of the earth. So all the material has been condensed down as small as it can possibly be and that white dwarf will eventually cool off to become a black dwarf. It'll cool off but that takes many times the age of the universe. So there is no black dwarf in the universe yet. They have not been enough time for one of them to form. So that's, event, that's the main stages. That's what we're going to go over starting on Wednesday. I'll go through this in much more detail. This is just giving you an idea, getting an idea of how the sizes are changing. It gets bigger, smaller, bigger. Temperatures kind of oscillating a little bit. And time frames. Big thing, time frames are very, very short relative to what you were talking about for the age of the sun. So I will start on this again Wednesday. I'm not going to try to get, well, we're done, we're done anyway. So I will continue with this on Wednesday.